So why did we choose this specific topic, right? So we're all about revenue planning, revenue execution, uh, you know, QBRs and so forth. This whole uh, compliance topic sounds a bit flat in comparison. Uh, but why did we go for this, Olafur? Well, it is for sure a responsibility of RevOps to build compliance and uh, <clears throat> and it's simply a topic that I keep getting asked about. Yep. Same. Every single same. time I talk to a customer prospect, that is a question that they want to know the answer to. And uh, and there is an answer. That's the good news. <laughs> <laughs> is there? Okay. Uh, so we'll, we'll dive into this topic today uh, quite a bit, actually. I think we had a little bit of a um, incentive there for you know people showing up for the live, not only for the recording. So everyone showing up here will actually get a bit of a compliant template that we have used uh, in previous companies to great success. Um, and I think just to be like super clear around this, um, and we'll dive into this in a second, and I think it will make sense uh, you know after the fact. There is no one compliant to rule them all. It's kind of there's some there's some considerations, and we're actually going to go through those considerations. Yeah, I think in terms of uh, you know the interaction and so forth. I think number one, uh, Q and A can happen throughout. It can be on topic. It can be uh, AMA. So ask ask A U A. I guess ask us anything. Yeah. Um, it can also, you know, if you have a specific compliant uh, question uh, or thing that you're struggling with right now, it can turn into a mini consult. Uh, let's let's see about that. Um, let's 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 see. We're gonna we're gonna go with the flow on this. Um, I'm just thinking if I'm forgetting anything here in the setup. Um, no, I think that's actually it. Yeah. So. Before we get into the whole, you know, when, when people are thinking compliant, right? They're usually thinking, oh, the scheme and how much money and all of that stuff. Um, but for folks to actually get to that point, they're skipping over a lot of important, you know, considerations that you need to do leading up to this, right? Mm -hmm. And and one of them is actually, uh, what is a reasonable target to set? Yeah, that's usually where it starts, right? When someone asks us, hey, Olafur, what's the best compliant? Then, then basically, boringly so, you need to go up the funnel and say like, well, wait a minute, what's actually the right target to set, right? So, um, you know, thinking about that, what's, uh, what's, how, how would you approach that? Well, <clears throat> there's kind of two ways to think about it. Then the first way is to base it off of sort of what can they achieve with the opportunities that they're either given or that they're generating. That's sort of Qu quick, one way to look at it, right? Quick intersection, just to kind of... Uh, so you can have compliance for all kinds of different roles. I think the main part today, we're gonna to talk about account executive oh, yeah. sales rep compliance. Yeah. Um, just to kind of provide some context, more than happy to answer a question around SDR compliance, CSM compliance, you know, should a, should RevOps be having a compliance? I have one of those questions later for you, by the way. Um, but frame is account executives, right? Yeah, and I think you could also apply to account management, yeah. almost uh, carbon copy that over. Um, but yeah, to my point, so basically you need to Obviously, try to figure out how many opportunities to give them, what is the average conversion rate. You, we call it a reverse funnel to kind of assess how much revenue can that person generate within the period and what kind of materials are they given to close it. Mm -hmm. We're not going to dive into that. That's a topic for a whole nother go-to-market life. Um, <clears throat> but in general, I think you need to think about it as a function of your ACV predominantly. Mm -hmm. uh, if you have very low ACVs, let's call it 15 to 20K, and you're kind of in the mid-market range, that sort of also caps out how high of a quota you can actually set on those people because there's a simple volume game involved. How many opportunities can they manage at one point and another? 
And this is typically where you're seeing companies paying people sort of 500K to 700, or sorry, expecting them to close 500 to 750K per annum. Mm -hmm. That's sort of roughly the territory. That yeah. And I think, you know, another way to potentially also look at this is, um, you know, especially if you're more an established organization that always been going for a couple of years. <clears throat> so how much are they actually closing, right? So, mm -hmm. you know, I think that should, could, you know, be one of the baselines. And obviously then uh, in a deeper analysis, you can figure out, well, could they be closing more? Could they be closing more by giving them more opportunities? Give, you know, could they be closing more by giving them only higher converting opportunities? That could be a, it's a completely different, you know, separate conversation as you just mentioned. Yeah. But the first one is really kind of what is actually a reasonable target to set? Yeah. Um, and and I'll, we'll, we'll, we'll talk quickly how some people mess that target setting up completely, right? But it should really be a consideration that is bottom up based on the time of day that they have, you know, the the opportunities that they have access to, the ACVs and so forth, right? If, yeah. if they can easily flip uh, 1 million euro deals, let's just say that would be, you know, the dream, obviously, if they can do that every month, then a reasonable target to set would be 12 million ARR as a, as a quota, right? Yeah. Uh, now, can people do that? Does it actually work out? No, there's some physics around that that kind of disallow that to a degree. Uh, but just to say it's really important to keep in mind there's, there's no right or wrong answer if you approach it from the right perspective, right? Yeah. No, but I think it's just, I mean, this is all about rules of thumbs here. And yeah. it's just sort of, if you're a mid-market, <clears throat> in a mid-market motion, you're typically looking at those ranges. And if you're in an enterprise motion, you can have anywhere from, you know, 600 to a million plus, if you will. Uh, but the ACV is definitely sort of one of the key things that would enable you to figure that, figure yep. that out. So now that you roughly know that, let's just say a million so you're in upper upper ACV range, maybe 30 to 50K that they're closing on a reasonable rate. Mm -hmm. um, you know that the target should be a million euros a year, mm -hmm. right? Um, how do you now figure out um, how much you actually can sell them? And by the way, all of that stuff is not how it, you know how people usually get to any of these numbers. It's usually a complete mess the other way around. And we'll talk about this in a second. But now that you know that they can reasonably close a million, from a company perspective, rule of thumb, benchmark out there, how much can you actually pay them? Yeah, and that's basically, it's a reverse question of basically how much are you willing to pay for a dollar for this part of the function of uh, generating a dollar? And the typical ratio that people use to assess if you have an efficient uh, AE mechanic is that you have an OTE to quota ratio. And what does that mean? So OTE is on-target earnings. Uh, that is basically the total compensation you will pay that salesperson if they are hitting the target within the period given. Mm -hmm. um, and what you're looking for in the uh, quota to OT ratio is really that you have, uh, typically people are looking at the range of four to six. And actually four and below is really where you're at the, at the you know, is this acceptable territory? Yeah. So you need to really just validate that you're not there if you have a comp plan already. Five is sort of the sweet spot and, you know, best in class are doing six. I don't yeah. think I've seen much beyond that, to yes. be honest. And so let's just kind of recap that for a second. So for some of our friends that are sitting in the US, an AE in the mid-market, upper mid-market, let's just say gets $250,000 on target. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So this is not an unreasonable number, by the way, for people that are dialing in from, I don't know, Germany. I think in Germany is probably different. But uh, 250K a year, right? Euros or dollars in this sense. Um, so following that logic, um, uh, you know, if those guys can close a million euros per year, that means that this is a 4X, mm -hmm. right? 
250K to a million, that's a 4X. If you were either to uh, be able to compensate them uh, successfully for 200K to 1 million, yep. then you're in the 5X range, uh, or if you're able to actually get them to close 1.25 million, uh, then 250K times five equals 1.25 million, right? Yeah. Um, and that's that's how you kind of would kind of hit those ratios. <clears throat> and it kind of circles back to the ACV and kind of how high of a target can you set for these people? It kind of connects because at the end of the day, <clears throat> if you're going to be paying someone 250K, you're buying a very expensive resource. That is a very experienced AE in many cases. If you have lower targets that you can set based on the on the chat we had earlier, that just means that you cannot buy as expensive salespeople. Yes. It is it is actually kind of connected in that sense. Yes. And if you are within the, let's call it, if you're close to five, that just means that you have a industry benchmark level of efficiency with your account executive team. However, it does not mean that you should be setting the target based on that ratio. You shouldn't go for, well, I decided to pay this person 250000 Hence, I need him to have a target or a quota of a million. Yes. It's not a reverse logic here. You need to begin at the top and then move your way through the logic. It's not an input, it's an output. So, and I think we should kind of pause the, uh, here for just a little bit uh, because this is a number one mistake that I see across organizations. Um, and, and it usually goes like the following. Um, and some of that is understandable, by the way. So people don't have a fucking clue what the number should be, right? Mm -hmm. Then they go out, try and get the best sales reps they can get for a, you know, uh, dollar amount, a salary, mm -hmm. those then fall in the 200, 250K range. There's some, you know, a comp plan building around it. And then organization grows up, uh, big boss CFO comes in and it's like, ooh, you know, I ran my spreadsheet and uh, these guys are only closing 750K on average, yeah. but we're paying them 250K. So we actually, you know, watch out. We're only on the 3X ratio that will make it much more difficult for me to sell the company next time there's a VC event happening. Yeah. Uh, so really what my spreadsheet now needs to, and by the way, I love CFOs and fp &A, you know, don't get me wrong, but what my spreadsheet now needs to say is that those guys, uh, because I can't change the salary number, you know, it's very yeah. difficult to do that, right? You're basically need to fire your complete team and hire everyone back. It's gonna be very difficult to do. So the variable that you can really change in real world is then how much money they're closing. So that's why your CFO sometimes comes to you and is like, well, these guys are 250K, uh, hence they need to close 1.25 million. Um, yeah. And that's what they will put in the budget and then, ex you know, and, and whack the CRO and the VP of sales if that doesn't happen. Yeah, but also, why should they be able to close more because we give them a higher target? That is always the question I ask, and there is no logical answer to that question because obviously it is fundamentally flawed to think like that. So just increasing quotas doesn't give you, you know, a better performance for that rep because they have a higher target. Mm -hmm. And, you know, at the end of the day, you want, you know, there's, you know, we're going to say a lot of ratios here today, but, you know, you want 80% of your reps to hit 80% or more in terms of percentage completion of the quota that you've set them. That's that it. is sort of what you want to be looking at when you're looking at across the whole AE team. And that means that if you just now raise quotas, you're going to have a lot of unhappy, you know, sales reps. They're not going to be hitting target even further than they are. They will have less variable payout. And actually what happens, and I've seen this happen myself, is that, you know, you have sort of a self-selection going on, is that the people who are actually talented and can generate a lot of revenue, but they're not getting paid adequately because the target has been, you know, misset, they basically will leave the organization and go work where they'll be, you know, compensated for what they're doing. The people who are not good, 
they will actually stay because they, you know, will have a good base pay within that range. They are okay not hitting it. They're just not hitting it to a higher yep. degree. And this is where you end up with a highly dysfunctional sort of AE setup if you if you don't if you don't you know get to the, these ratios that we're talking about. That's it. So uh, sometimes people have a question. So OTE on target earnings, um, how should they actually be split? Yeah, I think uh, there is many schools of thought around this, but <clears throat> in my experience and the way I think it works best to balance off the security of the paycheck versus also highly incentivizing them to do their job really well is to have a pretty high ratio of a variable. Variable here meaning what dollar amount that I'm going to be paying them and connecting to the target or the quota that I've given them. And in my experience, a very great quote, uh, sort of split for that is 50-50. This is something we see being very common in the US, uh, very much less so in, in Europe. Uh, this can also be 60-40. And in Europe, I've seen splits that are you know 80-20 and in some cases 90-10. And I think this is what you should really guard for because this just means that the impact of that you know comp plan really is you know, very ineffective. It just yep. doesn't make a big difference to, you know, how much they're going to get paid. Hence, it doesn't motivate them. And that's kind of the whole purpose of creating yep. a comp plan is that it's motivating them to close more revenue. So just to be clear, Ryan, let's just stay in the 250K example here. So 50-50 split means uh, $125,000 a year uh, fixed. So they get what is it, more than, a little bit more than 10K transferred to their bank account every month. Um and then, uh, you know, another $125,000 per year up on hitting the target, right? Kind of that's yeah. that's the idea. And the reason why obviously there's a name around it is because they can earn more if they go above and, you know, less if they go below, right? And if you now think that the whole way through, we're now talking $125,000 a year on variable compared to potentially a 1.25 million uh, target, you know, in the 5X example, that now equals roughly 10% you know, between those two things, right? So for 1.25 million euros in commissions, you uh, in, in, in ARR, in a revenue that you're closing, you would be roughly spending $125,000 on that for, you know, in, in comparison for the uh, variable. Yeah. And all the numbers we're saying here are annual, right? It doesn't mean that the comp plans are annual comp plans. That's a completely different question. So you can chunk it down into monthly quotas or quarterly quotas or set an annual plan. That has largely you know, it's gonna be set by basically the length of the sales cycle uh, as a primary one and the variance in the business. So is it a lot of chunky big deals that come in sporadically or is it more of a sort of bread and butter, smaller deals that they are getting consistently? That will sort of help you decide what the best periods to set the scheme for. Yes. Yeah. So now that we uh, discussed all of that boring stuff. <laughs> it's um, super interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, let's talk a little bit more about what uh, a lot of people actually want to hear when they say, Olafur, what's the right comp plan? Um, what they really want to hear is what's the scheme. Yeah. yeah. So we've cover covered how should you be thinking about it in the first place. Uh, we've covered how that breaks down and the math makes sense and how you kind of then align it to uh, potential, um, uh, you know, benchmarks. And now it's really about the nitty gritty uh, of, okay, how does the slope look like? What are maybe, uh, how should be kickers? How we should be thinking about those and so forth, right? Um, so let's kind of jump into that actually. So when, you know, when, when someone then asks you, okay, now, now we're kind of all the way down. So the scheme, how, how should we be thinking about the scheme? 
Yeah. So <clears throat> basically the math you did actually on the variable, it basically means that you are, you know, setting them up for earning usually a percentage of the total annual fee. If you kind of break it down, their variable component is very much tied to then, you know, how much ACV they're going to be, uh, ARR they're going to be signing, right? And this ends up usually being best practice around 8% to 14% of the total ARR signed. If you translate that into MRR world, you would be looking for $1 of MRR would lead to an average $1 payout for the wrap. And again, this is at 100% completion that yes. they are hitting that target that earns them the combination of getting $1 yep. for $1 signed. But let me recap that for one second. So this is a very neat little thing that uh, we stumbled over back then in the day, but also is a thing that uh, a couple of others now stumbled over as well, probably before us as well. Um, so if you want to land in the 8 to 14% range of the total ARR, um, if you take the MRR, so one twelfth of the annual amount, that equals, I think, 8.666%. Yeah. This is a and, great level to be at. And that basically... Um, you know, first of all, it's super simple. I close a 1K MRR deal, I get 1K in my pocket. Great, I love that. Um, but also it actually puts really neatly in the bottom of the benchmark here, allowing you for a, a, a nice buffer on top for kickers, for accelerators, for, you know, all kinds of other things that you're coming up with yeah. um, to kind of start out and keeping like extremely simple, right? You close a $1,000 MRR, uh, you get $1,000 MI into your pocket. Well, technically, yes, but only if you hit target. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, keep it simple, please. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, of course, right? No, so, so in that logic, the way you explained it here, that would actually mean that you would have a completely linear payout. Yep. So if you kind of put it on a graph here, that just means $1 to your target and kind of how you earn it is a linear progression. You always get paid the same per dollar, if you will. Um, I think this is where we wanted a graph from Bart, but Bart. Yeah, Bart just I'll do, do I'll do graphs with my hands, I guess, for yes. now. But um, at the end of the day, you can also now add structure to that thinking, right? Uh, that's the level that you're happy to pay out. You set a realistic target. You're efficiently gonna, you know, make those dollars back, and you're gonna be paying the right amount per dollar if you pay a dollar per MRR. Just to keep it simple here, and this can yep. be different amounts, right? But you can also now add structure because you want to incentivize for different behaviors and. This is where what I would often include is to have a sort of a you know non-linear slope. So basically, paying people less at lower completion levels. So the people who are you know hitting fifty percent of their quota, they might not need to be paid one dollar for one dollar signed. Uh, and why is that? Because you want them to feel like they don't want to be in that that place. And how do you do that? You would actually add sort of structure to it. And what does that structure mean? It just means that you need to create a slope of payout that is not linear, but actually pays them below that $1 to one uh, MRR ratio that you've sort of identified as your goal. But in combination, when they get to the end of that you know, quota, all of those dollars that you're paying them on a lower amount for need to add up to $1 for $1 signed if they do get there. Yep. And a very simple way to create sort of that... Uh, Sort of that slope is actually to not create a slope, but actually just create sort of a hockey stick a little bit sort of within. It's kind of graph. two linear yeah. lines, basically, right? And the way to do that very simplistically is that you will pay them 
for the first 50% of their quota, you'll pay them basically half a dollar in variable. Mm -hmm. So for half of the dollars that they're signing, for the first half of their quota, they will be paid half a dollar in payout for that. Or 50% of whatever amount you've decided is your ratio, right? And then for the 50 to 100%, you would then actually be happy to pay $1.5. And the reason for that, it's not a dollar again. So that was the ratio we decided on. You're compensating for the you know 50 cents that you didn't pay them on the dollar for the first 50. So you end up basically not paying $1 for $1 MRR at the end of that curve, which is then at 100%, aka they hit their target and are now paid accurately. So in other words, if you average it out, it's yeah. $1 for $1. Yeah. But, you know, because you do this adjustment, you pay half a dollar only for the first half and yeah. then one and a half dollars for the last half, right? In average, it's it's one to one. I think what's really, really important here, and I sometimes get that question, um, and there's something progressive versus regressive or something like that. I kind of heard something. Uh, I'm not going to ask you the question. Don't worry, Olofa. Um, but basically, okay, I have 50% of payout to 50%. Okay, cool. I kind of get that. Now 150% afterwards, does that mean that the first half is now priced in at 150% Olafur? No. There you go. You get <laughs> paid incrementally in different increments and uh, and you're not unlocking anything because it creates this really nasty sort of, if you put it on a graph, there's kind of uh, jumps in payments. Steps. So you hit 70%, all of a sudden, all the dollars that you signed before have a much higher value. So you create these almost sort of cliffs that are, you know, going to incentivize some bad behavior. You could look at sandbagging where you want to stack up the deal so you can make sure you're hitting that accelerator number and stuff like that. But I, I had people um, switch deals around. Yeah, and pay out of <laughs> pockets. <laughs> Is it crazy? <laughs> I literally had people switch deals around. So one of them would hit the 70 yeah. um, and then they split the, uh, the benefit from it, basically. Yeah. Isn't it crazy? I mean... I'm not surprised. People will find a way. Will you create undesirable no, exactly. So especially if you have those those step functions, and if you you know maybe you haven't done that, but if you plot out how much money uh, your rep gets per percentage of completion, uh, if you kind of if you have that progressive scheme, sorry, I think what uh, what we just discussed about, you will basically see you know a jump from fifty percent. They get I don't know two thousand euros paid out. Fifty one percent suddenly it's eight thousand euros, yeah. right? Uh, that's that's what you would see and you want to really, and we have this in the do's and don'ts, that's really something that you want to avoid. However, the counterpoint that I then get from some VP of sales is like, it's kind of simpler, Tony, you know? <laughs> yeah. You know, up until 50%, it's 2% of revenue from 51% and up, it's 8% of revenue kind of people, I can see, I can see some of the simplicity behind it, why people might want to do that, right? Yeah. But that's, that's usually how that works. So we spend a lot of time on the below 100%, which is, you know, one, you know, a lot of your folks will end up there. I just kind of be serious about that. Yeah. So um, what about the above 100% though? Yeah, and I think this is sort of, Furthering on the incentive idea is that you want to make it undesirable to land, you know, below the 50% or in the below, you know, quota. And at the same time, then you will ask, well, shouldn't I be paying people more if they're hitting above target? And how much should I be willing to pay for that? And this is where my answer will often very much surprise people because it, uh, what I always say, you should basically double the, uh, double the payout, literally double the payout. So you were now willing to pay $1 for one you know, dollar of MRR, if you will. As soon as they get past 100%, pay them $2 for, uh, 
for every single dollar that they sign beyond that or create different, you know, slopes after that. You can break it down. But this is what might then sound weird because you go, well, you just told me you should be paying 8% of revenue signed and on an ARR basis, why does why do all of a sudden want to pay this person now, you know, 16%? And the logic for that is actually very simple. Um, because, again, these are people that have a 50-50 comp plan. So 50% of how much we pay them is in their base pay. And the other 50% are coming from the variable that is connected to the quota and how much revenue they sign. So if you double that payment above 100%, you will be dollar for dollar paying the same ratio, cost ratio overall, as you were before and what when they hit 100%. And the reason for that, and just to simplify the example here, because this already sounds complicated in my head, it's that I can, I can, yeah. if you imagine that you have two salespeople now, um, how much would you be paying them each? You would be paying them 250K each to sign a million each, right? If you have only one salesperson and you're paying him 250K to sign 1 million, you'll be paying him 125K in variable. And if you now double pay him and he hits 200%, that will combined actually means that he will be paid 250000 for the 100% above quota yep. or above target. So it's almost as if you just hired another successful salesperson who hit their target. There's no difference in the amount you're paying for the dollar. Another, another way to say it, right? Once, once they hit target, uh, they basically are now leveled out. Uh, variable and base is the same now. And now they go above. And basically, you would be able to save the base for everything that they go above. Yeah. If you keep doubling it, you basically kind of keep the same ratio going. And you might be like, oh, you know, this was my idea of saving a dollar. Uh, I think it's a terrible idea to try and save dollars on your best reps. By the way, it's the worst freaking idea that's out there because those are the ones that you really, really don't want to lose. Those are also the ones that uh, comparative to competition, you know that work out and therefore want to overpay basically, right? So you, you have way more insight than, you know, uh, uh, people outside of the organization and you really want to make sure you overpay on those account executives. Um, and, you know, this, hey, they're, they're kind of eclipsed their base, uh, uh, you know, ratio to a degree. Um, that is one way of arguing that this should be the case to your CFO if that, is, if that comes up. Yeah, and <clears throat> the reason why a lot of people will squirm at, at this idea or this kind of payoff is that what, you, what I've seen in all of the companies I've been in is that the most successful salesperson is always earning more than the CEO of the company. Yes. And that's a good thing. The yeah. CEO should be happy about that. So more more <laughs> on that, actually. Uh, so you look at me, it's like, yeah, well, I'm the CEO here. That's right. <laughs> so uh, no, but I think the other piece is also um, almost, you know, and this is it's a little bit perverse, to be honest, because it's like sales reps and it's like, you know, it's comparison to other people in the organization. It's sometimes difficult to kind of run around those, those numbers. But... Uh, I had coffee conversations when one of the reps was basically hitting, uh, I don't know, I think three or 400%. So one large deal bringing him to that point in the quarter. He didn't close anything the rest of the year, obviously. But I think the comp that I paid out um, was I think 70,000 euros or something like that. Yeah. Right? And and you want to be... So by the way, don't ever cap a comp plan they are already physically capped by them not being able to close more deals anyway, so yeah. there's no need to cap them. Um, but basically, you know, what I then did for a while until everyone knew about it, every single time I, you know, encountered a rep on the coffee machine, I was like, hey, do you know how much that guy earned? Uh, and by the way, 
all of this is pretty transparent because you have a leaderboard, the targets are clear, everyone can calculate everyone else's commission, right? Yeah. It's not behind the scenes, it's not secret in that sense. And then, no, I don't. And it's like, well, he just took home, you know, 70,000 euros. Yeah, but when you feel squeamish about those conversations, and I certainly had those feelings, I also sat down and I thought about it a little bit deeper and I said, is half of my salary, uh, you know, based on me doing what I told people I would do or what I'd be capable of doing? So I have an inherent risk of me getting paid what I'm supposed to be paid out of half of my salary. So the, these kind of payments are for the successful people who overcome that risk. And the other risk that is, you know, not often talked about is that, you know what, these people get fired a lot more than people who are sitting in other parts of the business. Yep. And there is an inherent risk to having this job that is meaning that it's very highly compensated. There is... Uh, yeah. I mean, so these these conversations come up, right? Especially in... Uh, so we're in Denmark. It feels like everyone is sharing their salaries with everyone. But uh, <laughs> basically, it's kind of a, uh, you know, why this, why that? And I think sometimes those conversations are a bit difficult and especially in kind of this context. Um, and I don't think there's a great way around it. I think what I sometimes use and I'm you know, not super proud of it, but it's like, hey, listen, if if you want to, if you really want to have that job, there's an AE slot it. open. Yeah. Join. You know, I'll I'll say it's fine. You know, join. Um, you did and, it to me, I think, and I said, no, thank you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, it's a little bit unfair, right, to kind of a large yeah. degree, but uh, I gotta say, uh, you know, being an account executive, and I think even more so, being an SDR, so an outbound rep, really difficult jobs, and and I think some some of the compensation there is. It's, by the way, also um, it's also a market rate thing, by the way. No, I was actually going to say that uh, CEO in a previous company, he also said, you know, if we're not paying these rates, this is the market rate. And the rate is being set by what we just said before. It's a, I'm willing to pay this much for revenue. Hence, these are the people I'm going to be paying for that. And if you're not the one paying it, someone else will. And you will just not attract the right talent. You will not sell as much as you could be selling. And uh and yes, this is a position that anyone with, you know, there's no degree for being an AE or being a salesperson. So, you know, if you want to be in that career, you can. But at, at the end of the day, this is a market that has been set. And that's yeah. why you need to pay these people uh, at your, very well. At your own risk, I guess. Yeah. Okay. So this was a bit of the overall kind of main deal structure. Uh, moving on to... I used to call it kickers, other call it accelerators. I think if you're into like online gaming, it would be buffs and debuffs. You know, there's all kinds of different ways to go about it. Um, but how to even think about kickers, um, Olafon? Yeah, so kickers, just to be clear, these are additional payments that you'll make to the rep if they, you know, achieve certain things in the in the structure of signing a deal. Um, because you run the risk when you only incentivize people on revenue dollars that that is the only thing that they will optimize, which is to some degree what you want, but you as a company have other concerns besides just the raw dollar amount that's being brought in. And this is where you wanna make sure that you are incentivizing the rep to be in the same position as the company where he wants the same thing as the company wants. And what are we talking about here? We're actually talking about deal structure. And I've seen this so many times where people haven't fully thought into this, is that reps will end up signing deals with uh, monthly payment terms, opt out after six months, uh, contract lengths that are not, uh, you know, within the confines of what the company wants. And those are not negatively punished on the, you know, ARR in the deal as, and how much the company will recognize, but it definitely has cash flow implications. There's more risk to that deal. It needs to be renewed more often. So you might have to pay an account manager to do that or a CS person. And this is where you might want to add kickers 
uh, to the payout when they do something that is done well. And what does well mean here? First and foremost, you need to kind of set what is the standard that we have as a business. And that means basically to set what are our standard payment terms? What do we think is going to be the bulk of how much we can ask them and in what kind of increments can we ask them to pay it? Is it annually upfront? Is it quarterly? Is it monthly? And if you as a company decide that you will, you know, have as a business model that you're selling ARR and it's annually paid upfront, if salespeople now negotiate with a customer, they can either do discounts on the dollar value, which they won't want to do because, you know, they're incentivized on the dollar. And now you just want to make sure that they're putting in quarterly payment terms that you might actually have that this deal is worth less to you as a salesperson, meaning that the payout ratio, again, this dollar for a dollar sign, you might want to say that that takes a 10 or a 20% decrease on the overall payout for that specific deal. Yep. Um, let, me, yeah. let me kind of recatch some of that stuff. Uh, so first of all, you need to establish your baseline. What what is what does a normal deal look like? If your normal deal is a monthly payment and monthly renewal, then that's your normal deal, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know how you go below that, but that that is then the baseline. Mm-hmm. Um, if your baseline is different, then you basically need to incentivize up for stuff that gets you above that baseline and incentivize down for the stuff that gets you yeah. below, right? And if you if you don't have any kickers in here, um, uh, basically the only thing that people will be incentivized around is the dollar that they sign, which is yeah. great. And they wanna maneuver all kinds of different ways away from giving a dollar discount, which is great. You wanna have exactly that behavior. But then you want to also make sure that they don't, you know, immediately say like, okay, you know, monthly payments, you know, early opt out, you know, all kinds of other things, right? You want to price that in. And I think what's really important here is to not disallow it, to not be like, nope, you can't do it. Um, because that, you know, if someone is having that situation and I've been there myself, you know, we were like, oh, no, you can't do it. And then, you know, quarter end comes, you really want to have the cash. And, you know, someone says like, well, you know, it's quarterly payments. What's going to happen is you're going to sit there and be like, mm, okay, approved, uh, and 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 it's signed, right? Um, and uh, and you know, once you do this once or twice, the whole floor will know, and then basically they're they're all going to be there, and suddenly everyone has quarterly payments, right? Yeah. And and you don't want to you don't want to go into that direction. Um, and then the next thing that people then jump into is, oh, cool, okay, you know what? Let's do quotas. It can happen five times a quarter, you know, uh, or this thing can happen only once, and you know, we have this one joker we can play. So what's going to happen now is you're going to burn through those five real quick. And then number six stands there and it's like, well, it's a deal breaker. Either I get it or I don't get it. And you basically on the short end of information here, you don't actually know if it's a deal breaker or not. You just, you just have to trust that person, right? And say, like, okay, approved, go for it. Um, so that will always end in this mess, basically. So what you rather want to do is, okay, you can do it, but the pain that I'm feeling as a CRO, as a RevOps, as a deal desk, whatever, yeah. needs to be equal to the pain that you are feeling, my friend. So we are aligned on this, right? And and that's why, for for example, if you have annual annual payments as a standard, mm-hmm. uh, for you know two payments, you give a ten percent ding on I don't know payout or whatever. Yep. If someone goes to quarterly, maybe you want to give a twenty five percent ding on payout, right? So kind of there can be different uh, different ways around that. <laughs> Yeah, and I think at the end of the day, you're optimizing for behavior, and that behavior can be either moderated with management or it can be moderated with a comp plan. Uh, 
And in some cases, you should have moderation via management, meaning there's an approval if you want to do a six-month POC, if your standard contract is one year, for example. There could be examples where you want to have that approval, but try to build a company in a way where they're self-regulating the yes. behavior that is optimal for themselves and for the company at the same time, because ultimately, that's the reason why we build these compliance. It's, uh, you know. So we've been talking a lot about dings, mm -hmm. like debuffs, decelerators, mm -hmm. negative stuff. Let's talk about some of the positive stuff. Um, yeah. Think about it um, as if what what is it that you really want at the end of the day? And if you want, for example, to have longer contract lengths, that might be because you believe or you know that you have a 10% uh, churn. So if you now have customers signing up for two years, you've basically now saved yourself a loss of 10% in, uh, in 12 months. That's valuable to you as a company. There's also security in it that you don't have to worry about it. And you also will, in many cases, pay uh, you know, a wrap to renew that deal. That could be a CSM or an account management. So there's also a saving in maybe just paying the wrap for creating mm. a two-year deal or a three-year deal or, or giving more favorable terms as it relates to the company. You might have monthly payments as a standard, but you could say, if you do an annual payment upfront, then we will also pay you additionally Interesting, on Interesting one on the multi-year deal. Uh, what I've seen a lot now is that uh, companies simply don't pay kickers on this anymore. Mm -hmm. And I think here's the fundamental reason behind it. The reason why you wanna uh, pay more for the second year um, should be, or your motivation to do it, should be equal to your average churn that you have after yeah. your first year, right? So if you have 10% churn, you want to- And wanna, or cost of renewal. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You want to kind of pay 10% on top for that potentially. Mm -hmm. And then some crazy companies, obviously like, a, um, I don't know, like a HubSpot, for example, is really good at that. Um, maybe they don't actually have in the mid-market uh, a 10% annual churn, right? Maybe they have uh 10%, you know, net retention, upsell rate. <laughs> So basically kind of locking someone for two years is actually not, you know, sometimes not the right thing for them, depending on the deal structure. But anyway, that was kind of a short side note. I'm also having an eye on, on time here. I think some other cool examples are around, um, uh, you know, consistency. At least those are my kind of favorite kickers. So we had one kicker we call continue uh, pacing. First one is pacing. So this is intra-quarter. You will see a lot of uh, deals coming in the last end of the quarter, uh, last month of the quarter. You won't change that ever, by the way. But you can try and incentivize uh, closing a third, a third, a third, and then kind of give kickers if someone is unlocking a third in the first month, a third in the second month, and so forth. Number two, you might have sandbagging issues. Now we're talking between quarters. So someone is uh, maybe not hitting... Uh, or you know uh, you know is about to hit or you know kind of thinking about where to place those deals, right? What you basically want to be um, you know telling these people is to try as much as possible to go for the hundred percent and then get a carryover kicker for next quarter. So we basically said if you hit a hundred percent this quarter, I'll give you an across the board twenty five percent increase on payout on every deal you sign next quarter, right? So there was a oh fuck, I really want to have that. Um, and then the last thing. And our AEs love this like crazy. Uh, we called it the fifth Q kicker. Um, so basically, if you were actually able to hit, and I think it wasn't at 100%, I think it was 110%, 115%. If you, on average for the year, hit 150% off target, and you could close all of this in the last month if you wanted to, by the way, um, 
then we would pay you a full fifth quarter on top, right? Yeah. And people were going nuts about this and it worked really nicely. It worked yeah. really nicely. Yeah, those are all great examples, but you know, you need to kind of fix this to your business and your objectives and everything else. So these are just some examples. But uh, at the same time as we've given you a lot of examples, I would actually be very judicial in picking which one you're going to do. I think we might have ended up on the overcomplicated scale with having this Maybe. many kickers and dingers and all of this jazz. It reaches a point of confusion at some points, right? So really, really keep it simple as a primary objective. Yeah. That is the most important part because it is, at the end of the day, these people are not walking spreadsheets. They need to be able to do mental math while they're you know, on a sales call to figure out oh, that might be worth that to me. You know, that That's kind yeah, of what you the, want. The, right? the way I sometimes say it, if if the sales rep can't explain it to you when he's drunk or she's drunk, then <laughs> yeah. it's too complicated. Exactly. Then it's too complicated. And by the way, many, many reps can't explain it even when they're completely sober. Uh, no, by the no. way, and this is then you you know you made a mistake, right? So I think this is coming with some of the do's and don'ts. Kind of uh, you know keep it really simple. Uh, don't ideally don't have step functions in your uh, in your comp plan. It's um, it creates a lot of toxic behavior. You don't want to do that. Um, then we had something: don't pay for stuff people can't influence. Or what? What did that mean? Yeah, that basically means think about whether they can change the reality of that. And one of the clearest examples, and this is one thing that I see CFOs many times argue for and, and actually institute, and it's really damaging. It's, for example, to say, we won't pay the rep until the client pays us. The rep really is there to create a contract with that customer about what is the engagement and what are they going to be paying for that engagement. If they pay in 60 days or 30 days or half a year too late, they have no control over that beyond what is contractually obligated so as long as they get that contract in the right terms, you wouldn't want to give them basically either a ding or a later payment if you know they are not paying on time. Or uh, if you do it, what I've seen, uh, and then you know that was changed. Uh, guess what they're doing? Uh, they're calling up those customers and asking for the money to be paid. Yeah. Um, and first of all, they don't do this in coordination with whoever's doing the rollout or the CSM or anything like that. They just pick up the phone and say, "Hey, where's my fucking money?" Yeah. Do you want that to be your customer interaction, number one? And number two, do you want your reps to spend time on that? Yeah, exactly. Right? <laughs> so kind of those are those are the things. And um, same with clawbacks, by the way. I You know, unless it's um, not only grossly negligent, but basically kind, of on, uh, basically kind of purposefully trying to screw the company, yeah. I would heavily advise against uh, clawbacks. And this could be you signed a deal, someone is kind of, you know, opting out, ripping it apart and saying, you know, I don't care, sue me. Um, you know, then then carrying it back to the rep. Uh, if that happens, I would advise against that. You should, as a company, take a bit of a risk here. Obviously, if this is a recurring thing or um, if this is a bad apple, then, then you know, instead of creating a rule around the bad apple, get rid of the bad apple. Um, and, uh, and also kind of physically and think about the dynamics here. So you get your uh, payout... Um, you know, usually the month after quarter end, right? And then clawback time hits anytime in the next 30 to 60 days, which is basically at the end of the next quarter. Do you really, do you really want to have that conversation at that point in time with the rep? And, you know, I try to, and it's terrible, right? Kind of, oh yeah, uh, let's have a conversation with that rep about, oh, we need to claw back money from you. 
Yeah. Oh, and now you're demotivated not to hit your next target. I wonder why that is. Yeah, yeah but it, you kind of said it, right? You're not going to be able to go into this person's bank account and claw it back. You're actually going to be paying them for future performance to a lesser degree. And either you want to keep this person in the seat and be happy and work towards their goal for the next period, or you don't. And if you want to keep them happy, basically stripping away payments in the future that they're now competing against, against their target and their quota, I think is just an overall terrible idea. Mm-hmm. Nice. Um, I have a bunch more questions, by the way, but uh, maybe we uh, pause it for a sec. You actually have a good one from chat. Uh, yes. Stefan asks here, he would love your thoughts about linear goal uh, attainment versus cliffs. So an example of ops created, do you incentivize 47, 48, 49, or do you incentivize 45, then 50? Yes, so that's kind of talking about the step function, I think, to a degree, just kind of explain it differently. So up until... Um, X opportunities, so this would be like an SDR uh, uh, kind of example, right? Up until X opportunities, you basically get nothing. Um, And then up until Y, it either, well, it could start from zero or it could jump up to, you know, whatever. I mean, the same logic applies. It's overall a bad idea. Figure out how much, you know, you're going to be paying on a per opportunity basis. And when they, you know, when they go above that, how much you're going to be willing to pay for the incremental next opportunity. The whole idea of a cliff is that they will somehow magically always be able to get there. And, you know, it just isn't that, you know, it isn't an on-off toggle where they kind of either are successful doing something or they're not. I think it is that you want to basically try to influence the last incremental step that they're trying to perform in that point in time. And that cliff can, you know, also serve the function of saying, well, I'm kind of only halfway there. There's only 10 days left. I can't possibly hit the cliff. So what if I just slow down now? I take these very good conversations I'm having over here and I just kill them very early yeah. on in the next month. And then I will more likely hit my you yeah. know, cliff in the next period. And now you kind of have this sandbagging problem. And this is generally a, and I have never seen it work to be no. perfectly honest. I think, I think it's, you know, to a degree an adaptation of lesser payout here and then more payout later. Yeah. Um, usually I've seen that doing zero is sometimes difficult, right? Whether or not you jump then at 51 or you kind of have a nice steep in- increase then after yeah. 51 is kind of a different conversation. Yeah, and I would also, I've seen often people not paying for the first five opportunities or, or whatever it is. And and this overall just screams at, people screams hate at me to, for being a terrible idea. It's almost like that. half of the work you're gonna put it, we value at zero dollars. And then only the work you do after we value higher. It's uh, it's too, yeah, it's too kind of strong for my for my uh, for my taste. Excellent. And uh, Nathan asks, do you see a difference in do's and don'ts for clawbacks for high volume, low value sales uh, versus low volume, high value sales? Mm. The clawback specifically, or yes, yeah. Well, I think the way to address, you know, the two different things is to basically use the scope of time more adequately kind of in the structure of the comp plan. Instead of saying we'll pay you out on a shorter term interval and set sort of, you know, a quarterly target, this just means that you might have to have either a full-blown annual target and or a component where part of it is annual and part of it is in the shorter increment, right? Yeah, I'm, so I'm, I'm also wondering, so some of that also might sound like, well, um, you should have different rules for the big deals than you have for the smaller deals. There might also be some uh, difference in, uh, you know, the sales rep process around that, right? There might be some pieces that just flip or come easily or come even for free or, you know, something like that, mm-hmm. um, that might warrant a difference like that. 
Um, and I think what the way you need to think about it maybe is bigger deals um, will probably be usually close with bigger organizations over a longer sales cycle. So there's some more trust and de-risking, you know, built on both sides actually. And those organizations that will probably pay their bills versus uh, smaller deals with smaller companies that might sometimes change, right? You basically, what you're saying is you have a different risk profile uh, for those different segments. And yeah, I don't have a great answer kind of what the best solution for this is, but yeah. that's basically what you're having, right? Yeah, no, but the reason I went to the annual component was because what I've seen uh, with an enterprise is that there is sometimes basically a huge variance in how they close. So in quarter one, they will have a 200% completion and then in Q2, you know, two, they will do nothing. And then in Q3, they will have a high overperformance as well. And this is where basically kind of taking the variance out here can be, you know, min mitigated by having a longer period of what you're, you know, benchmarking the performance against. Because in enterprise, sometimes what they will rely on to take those bumps up, up is to have a draw of some kind. Basically mm -hmm. saying, you know, hey, we will, yeah. you know, give you out a payment, you know, as an advance on future stuff to happen because we usually have a massive Q4. So I want to distribute how you get sort of paid a little bit early in the year. And yes, draws can and you know could be uh, clawed back because it is a it is an, it is an advancement on something. It's a loan, if you will, to an employee yeah, I think, to a certain degree. It's I think not the, whole, the same as the other clawback that we. Discussed. I think the whole draw idea is actually um, I haven't seen it in Europe. It's, it's like very much a U.S. thing, uh, but basically it's um, to a degree. And say so if I'm just quickly trying to explain, the 250k, uh, you know, OTE, 125k, you get paid anyway. Uh, and then, you know, there's a lot of deals maybe happening in Q4. So basically what you're doing a draw is then to say, you know what, I think we're going to pay you, um, I don't know, 10% or 30% or 40% of that uh, variable chunked out over, you know, the, the earlier part of the yeah. year, uh, expecting that you will, you know, recoup that, you know, when you get there, right? And yeah. it gets really complicated real quick when you don't. Uh, or when yeah. someone leaves, you know, before the you know year end and so forth. So the sole draw business is, um, I'm I'm not comfortable with it. No, no, but it's also used often for ramp up and stuff like that. But uh, maybe let's not dive much deeper into the draw. Mm -hmm. So um, should RevOps get a commission? No. <laughs> Do you so, think so? No, I don't think so either. But uh, <laughs> why? Why? Why Olafur? Um. What's the best answer here? Well, what can they influence? Let's go back to that argument. Are they going to be sitting on a call and facilitating a deal closing, or are they going to be setting up a tool to get that deal? They're not directly influencing how many revenue dollars come in at which point in time directly. That's why I think overall they shouldn't be necessarily. But also their revenue operations. They're, fun they're looking at stuff across the funnel. They're often helping on things that are not revenue driving, and you don't want to, them to start to become yeah. kind of uh, single focus minded on, on just one you yes. know, part of their job. And I, and I think one other way to look at it is, you, you know, I think folks need to differentiate between I'm not being paid adequately, yeah. which is a problem, and you get paid more, yeah. uh, but trying to get there by uh, discussing commission because that might be easier with your boss. I think it's, yeah. I, yeah. I would be careful around Don't that. ask for a comp plan, ask for a raise. Yeah. But Tony, should CEOs be paid commission or variable? Um, so this is so funny that you say that uh, because I think yes. You think yes? Yeah. I think, uh, and, and the reason is the following, um, and I've seen this now a couple of times. Um, if you are the CEO, uh, you have 
uh, you know, you're setting the, the budget, right? Uh, together with the CFO and the board and stuff. Um, and you're setting, you know, whatever number you feel is the right number. Uh, and then you give this number to people that are being commissioned, either the CRO or the VP of sales and stuff like that. And they kind of get penalized for not hitting this number, but you don't. And I think, so obviously, yeah, you know, the company story and all of that stuff, but you know, that there's, you know, I could go deeper into that area. Uh, but the point is, you know, since the CEO is a fundamental part of target setting of revenue for the year, I think he or she should have some skin in the game that ties him or her to that number in order to get some reality check in actually. And, uh, and I think that should be, you know, 30, 40% of, of the salary actually. Yeah. But with that logic, wouldn't you also say that, that incentivize them to set a lower target than maybe is very reasonably achievable. So they are basically now not optimizing for what the board is hiring that person to do. Yeah, yeah, 100%. I mean, there's, you know, gamesmanship in this, but usually what you see in the board is uh, rarely will people, you know, uh, undershoot, you know, mostly people, everyone around the table is pulling up. Everyone is pulling up the target, right? The CFO is pulling up the target, the investors are pulling up the target, everyone wants that. Who actually sits in the boardroom and you know tries to be very realistic about it? And I think it should be it should be the CEO. I think the CEO should have like a you know I'm actually tied to this number. I need to make sure that we can hit that number and that will bring some reality check actually in that conversation. What about the CFO actually? <sighs> yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure about CFOs. You sold me on the CEO thing. I think CFOs would fall under the same principle. Honestly, yeah, I think so. I think with this, yeah, the thing is you can use both arguments in both directions. You know, I would say like, well, the CFO should really not be you know partial in that sense. Um, you know, same for the CEO and stuff. But uh, I, you know, be careful. I don't know, Bart. Was there? You know, we're just wrapping soon up on time. Just want to make sure that this. Uh, but actually, you know what? Let's bring on Stefan live. Wow. wow. Beautiful. Let's see if this works. All right, Stefan. Unmute. Good morning. There you go. Hey. Good morning. Um, uh, yeah, the question that I had was in, around PIPs and goal attainment and how PIPs play into goal, goal attainment. And I give you a specific example. If there are roughly 20% of reps hitting between 85 and 99% of goal attainment, should you now toughen up the PIP standard or should everything driven um, be through a financial incentive model? Yeah, so PIPs, just so we... Performance improvement plan. Performance improvement plan. This is typically a process in which somebody is underperforming and they're basically given a, you know, you need to improve this. And if you don't, then there's very negative consequences, aka, you know, you're not going to work out. Yeah. And the way that I've always thought about PIPs is that you, if you have a problem such that one as you described is that only 20% of reps are hitting 80% uh, or more of target, you have basically a structural problem. You don't have a performance problem because you have hired a lot of reps and 80% of them are not achieving the targets that has been set out. And that would speak to me that you actually have a structural issue in that the targets are not realistic. And that could be for the reasons that we mentioned above, or it can be that you know there's just not enough opportunities being created where that target can be hit with the conversion rate that, that the company has. Yeah. And I think for me, when I do you know, recommend having pips and when to give them. I think it's that that is really trying to tap into the performance and the behavior. It's not about saying, do this and I'm going to add more stressure to you to do this or I'm going to fire you. It's actually giving them steps that have more to do with effort than outcomes. Typically, what I'm looking for are pips that are addressing the fact that they might be skilled at what they do, but they just might not be applying all the right effort to achieve the success that we want them to. Yeah. So, and so yeah. 
Structurally speaking, I think a PIP should also include help, uh, by the way. It's not, it shouldn't just be a, an advanced notice on the notice. Um, and then, you know, also kind of on the structural side, um, I think it goes both ways, actually. So if, if you have 90% of your reps hitting 85% or above, yeah, maybe your PIP target should be 90% or something like that, but you can pull it up. You can also increase quotas if you're in that wonderful position. But if you're in the reverse, uh, if most of the reps aren't hitting, um, and then you're dishing out pips to everyone, what then is going to happen that, you know, you're going to you know, get at the end of the pip uh, and all of these uh, guys and ladies would actually need to get fired. And that's kind of a, a kind of a chicken game here because you're going to be like, oh, oh, I actually can't fire all of these 10 people. So I'm going to maybe fire only two. And then, you know, then you're kind of screwed because everyone's like, okay, why those? Why not these? And so forth. And suddenly the whole pip thing loses all its power. And I think also... What I have learned throughout the years is that the minute you give someone a PIP, that person starts looking for another yeah, job. Yeah, hundred well. percent. This is yeah, yeah, 100%. Uh, so if you're applying it across a very big set of your staff, then uh, you you might be you know getting yourself. In Stefan, trouble. was this answering a question? Actually, sometimes it's kind of difficult to uh, angle it the right way. Yes, wonderful. Um, it does, and yeah, it's it's actually a pretty good, yeah, good answer. Thank you guys so much. Also, big fan of the pod, guys. There you go. Nice. Uh, there you go. And Stefan, that was you can a compliment for me, by the way. <laughs> of course. Uh, <laughs> but Stefan, you can also feel free to reach out if you have specifics that you don't want to talk uh, live on. Uh, happy to, to happy to support if there's anything else uh, that you want to. Awesome. Wonderful. Appreciate it. Of course. We're coming up to my new uh, so to the top of the hour. It's my new thing that I learned here. English, not a first language. Um, anything else, Bart? No last questions, but we do have one interesting comment from uh, uh, another Stefan, actually. Uh, I'll back on the conversation on should CEOs or CFOs get commissions. Uh, yeah. He talked about, he says, well, the variable for CXOs is equity and the incentive is stock price. Sure, sure. And this is kind of the co uh, the company equity story that I was kind of referring to, right? You have that obviously in there. But to be honest, that story progresses the same regardless of what target you set. You know, obviously when you're public, you know, a little bit of a different story, but until you're, you know, as long as you're private, you know, after the fact, when you go out fundraising, you're not going to say that you were actually trying to hit 20 million and only hit 15. You're going to be like, no, we were planning to hit 15, right? <laughs> so kind of that equity story holds up regardless what you hit. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you have now screwed the VP of sales in the process, by the way. But yeah, it's a, it's a longer topic. It's a bit of a hot take, I feel, <laughs> but I'm, I'm happy to defend it if necessary. Okay, wonderful. Uh, I hope this was adding value. I hope this was fun. It's fun for me. I'm not sure if it's fun for uh, Mr. If, is it fun for you, Olaf, or is it? Uh... Compliance, yes. Compliance. Being on, being live, I'm still getting uh, from oh, there you go. Yeah. Okay, uh, thank you everyone for joining. Um, if you haven't already joined the revenue letter, um, sign up on my LinkedIn page and so forth. And otherwise, we're going to be back in two weeks. Uh, do we actually shit? Bart, do we have a topic for next uh, the next time? We do, yeah. As a quick, uh, I guess, preview, we're talking about Outbound. Outbound? Yes. Oh, I didn't know that. Wonderful. <laughs> Let's talk about Outbound next time. Thank you, everyone. Bye-bye.